well, yeah, ready. I've got three bloody pages for you today. <laughs> and, no ending, and no this ending. And no ending. Oh, well, that sounds Hollywood to me. Well, so, well, let's, that's a good fade up. Hello, everyone. Hey, Sheppy. Hello, everybody. <laughs> this is uh, Shoulders of Giants. So, I'm Jim. Hi, I'm <laughs> Sheppy. Nice to see you all. Good stuff. There's a tiny bit of a delay between me and Jimbo. So if there are any awkward pauses, that's what I'm going to blame it on. Yeah. How are you doing today, Jimbo? I'm good, Sheppy. I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. And you know what? Little sneak peek for the audience. We're, we're recording this at a different time of day for us both. Um, so this is like for episode 10, as officially this is, um, that's nice. It's a nice switcheroo. So there might be a different dynamic thing. It's nice. Um, I swap my coffee for a whiskey so, up and I Sheppy. That's the difference, isn't it, basically? And uh... That's the name of your third autobiography, swapping my coffee for a whiskey. No, I'm loving it. And um, I've got water when normally I have tea. So I'm, I've gone totally mental. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> um, so for those of you who've never heard this podcast before, Jimbo, what is Shoulders of Giants all about? Um, in a nutshell, Sheppy, I'm going to try and do this pithy. Shoulders of Giants is a pitch off between you and I, where we basically uh, discuss a sequel or prequel to a movie or a TV show or something that we love from popular culture. And we essentially celebrate it. And we go off on little tangents where we may come up with number two, maybe three, maybe a prequel, maybe something else, maybe a whole new universe, maybe a rewriting of history, <laughs> maybe, okay, that wasn't pithy. <laughs> that, that was pithy. <laughs> that was, I don't know if you can be succinct and rambling at the same time, but I, I think you did it. That's impressive <laughs> stuff. Yes. <laughs> I agree. And that is, and you know, we're not, we're not being horrible about films unless we are, but generally speaking, we're like, wouldn't it be interesting if blah, 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 this happened instead. So yeah, I like it, which I guess brings us to the next point, Jimbo, what film uh, are we talking about today? Well, Sheppy, you set us this, and uh, this, this is essentially a sequel to Jewel of the Nile. The, the kappa on the Romancing the Stone trilogy, if indeed you can call right, it. I, I think it. you would call it the Romancing the Stone trilogy, wouldn't you? In yes. the end, if but it was like, yeah. the kappa. Because it's not like you would say the indie trilogy, um, for example. You, you, know, there is, you wouldn't say the Jack T. Colton, Joan Wilder trilogy. So you wouldn't say the Ralph trilogy. So yeah, you would say the Romancing the Stone trilogy or the Romance trilogy. Do you like the Romance trill? and in the playground because it was huge you know in that universe where it's bigger than crocodile dundee indie and sky pirates combined huge um so yeah it seems weird to me that they didn't make a third one i mean they made um romancing the stone and then they made jewel of the nile and then a few years after that they made war of the roses which was the same three principles of Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and Danny DeVito, and War of the Roses was directed by DeVito. And when I first heard about that film in 1990, I think, so five years after Niall, I went up to you, Joe, in the playground, and I said, what film do you think would be least likely to get a third part right now? And it's so random, but you said Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile. And I was like, yeah, well, it, I, they're doing it. And I was wrong, of course, but because I just saw the poster and I was like, oh shit, they're all back. But it's, they, it's not connected. But yeah, that's what I thought. And it's so weird, therefore, that I was like, what would be a weird film? And you said what I was thinking of. But actually, it's the opposite of that. It would have been the perfect thing to come out. What, you know, it's, it's a shame, actually, that they didn't make a third one. And maybe it would have been shit. But, you know, it, I like a clean trilogy. Um, which, you know, it's like the Tim Burton uh, Batman trilogy that doesn't exist or the Timothy Dalton trilogy. I, I wish, I don't like it when there's two. I'm happy that there's at least a sequel, even if it's lesser, as long as it, you know, isn't terrible. But generally speaking, it does surprise me. What are your thoughts on that, Jimblat? 
Oh, Sheppy, I've got lots of thoughts, actually, because I've been a good boy and I've gone and done my bloody research again on this one. And I went and revisited <laughs> with the with the good wifey and uh, we had fun. We had fun rewatching. And um, I've just got some thoughts on that, too, Sheps, if that's OK. And I've also... Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> yeah. What's what? When was the last time you had seen either of them before this last Oh, year? man, I am telling you. Well, here's one of the things like... It was amazing to watch it without, you remember like in the eighties and yeah, probably watched it on telly in the eighties too, when, uh, when the credits came up and it was something they couldn't control in terms of widescreen to pan and scan, it would go boink and everyone's heads would go like really big <laughs> and, and long and thin. I've never seen a version where that didn't happen during the credits and stuff. Yeah, I've never seen it in widescreen. on ITV was, yeah. was the same thing. Um, and you accept it as a kid and you don't really know about widescreen when you're a kid, um, certainly in VHS 80s days. And so, yeah, well, it was boink and really weird stuff. And often films which were, you know, two, three, five, and you just watched it as a kid and didn't even realize you were missing like two thirds of the image and certain shots didn't make sense. You had this really awkward pan and scan, boink. And especially in credits, it was weird. And the end credits of my TV version of Romancing the Stone, the end credits, mind you, where sometimes on ITV or whatever, it would go widescreen. It didn't, I don't think, and it stayed boink. And the credits looked really funny. So there you go. <laughs> and I remember, I think oh, romancing for me is one of those, the biggest versions of that, biggest versions of that, like where the beginning, I remember her feeding her cat Romeo and walking around the apartment and all that sort of stuff, you know, she's after the, yes. the little novel bit. And then at the, at the very end of romancing on the boat, I just remember it going boink at that point, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So that's funny. So, so therefore, anyway. watching it now in glorious widescreen on your nice projector thingy, I bet that was great. Oh, Sheppy, it was, it was just an absolute top to bottom treat. The first one, the first one, right? So um, yes. here's some- Robert yeah. Zemeckis. Robbie. And so look, here's The year some before things. Back to the Future. The, the year before. And so here's, here's oh, look. Amazing. I don't know where we stand on this. I've never even tiptoed on the water of this stuff. But in the end, I did a little bit of Googleage as well on this, basically. Nice. So there's, a, there's an interesting couple of things here. Not least the fact that objectively, Romancing the Stones in 1984, Jules and Niles 1985. It's like out the gates. It's ridiculous. Yes. It's like, well, I didn't that even know if I really appreciated anymore. that. Yeah. And, yeah. And, it's... and also, let me say this. Um, yeah, I was going to mention the fact that it does come out one year later and is, you know, there's every reason for Jewel of Denial to be shockingly bad and a real cash grab, which I'm sure it was a big cash grab, but it's actually, as I recall, much better that, than it has any right to be. It's, it's actually really good. It's not as good as Romancing, but it's actually, it has its own thing going on. And that's my remembrance. I think Romancing the Stone is, a, is just a better movie. She's better in it. They split the two of them up at the beginning of Jewel Renal, which is a mistake. And, you know, um, and she's very quick to just jack it all in with him at the beginning of Jewel Renal, which, which jars a bit on this on second viewing. He is a fascinating mm. character to revisit in it, Douglas, to be fair. And what I I'll just do the quick Google because I don't really want to dwell on it too much, but um, some really interesting stuff around it. One, um, they saw a rough cut <laughs> of um, romancing the stone and uh, at that cocoon they were, they were making cocoon Zemeckis was down to direct cocoon they saw a rough cut of romancing oh. they thought it was so shit <laughs> they sacked <laughs> Zemeckis from cocoon and we got back to the future how about that that was pretty wow. cool I didn't even know that's that. amazing <laughs> Ron Howard must have been rubbing his little hands together oh and then, um, and then the amazing. other thing is um, like, I didn't know that Douglas is like the producer on both of the movies and he really right. like went for it and obviously got the second one going in Jewel of the Nile, but the script wasn't ready. The, um, the lady who wrote it, Diane Thomas, she um, wasn't asked back because she was asking for too much money for Jewel of the Nile. So she didn't write the second one. She came in to do some script tweaks and then oh. got killed in a car accident. Bless her. It was a tough story. Wow. Man. And then all sorts of shit happened. Like, 
heat problems with the crew in Jewel of the Nile. The director wasn't Zemeckis, wasn't up to it. Louis T was his name, bless him. Yeah. He, they had a whole action scene where he forgot to put the film in the camera. They'd set it up, they'd done the scene and he forgot to put the film in the camera. <laughs> now, was that the director's, or, you know, or, you know he, he should have known, but like, was it, yeah, I'm sure he wasn't meant to be loading the camera himself. Poor old Louis Teague. Um, Poor I, old Louis Teague. He, direct, he directed Cat Size, that's um, Stephen King anthology thing through Barrymore and James Woods um, and Robert Hayes. And, oh, uh, nice. and I liked Cat Size and he directed something else. Yeah, he directed like Alligator, which was one of the, you know, Piranha Jaws things that came out after Jaws. Um, so we do, which I, I don't think I've ever seen Alligator, but he, don't, he directed one other thing specifically that I remember that I like, but I've totally forgotten what it is. But he's, he's directed shit tons, but ultimately, yeah, he's no Zemeckis, but then Zemeckis is great. You know, I love Zemeckis and Romancing the Stone is, yeah, of course it's a better film. But, you know, poor old Lewis Teague. That is poor unfortunate about the Tropic Thunder-esque <laughs> But what's really fascinating about it as well, <laughs> and this is the only other bit of real Google it, is just that apparently Kathleen Turner did not want to come back. She did not think the script was ready, huh. was, was there under duress, was actually suing for the fact that she was contractually obliged to come back. You can't tell, wow. their chemistry is still there when they're together. Yes. But yes. of course, she's suing Douglas because Douglas is the producer. This <laughs> is just That's quite amazing. an interesting story. Um, wow. But yeah, um, but well, there we have it. But here, my, here are my you. quick things from just rewatching it, Sheffy. Douglas as a character, that Colton guy, I remember being very cool. He's not very cool. He's actually, he's a terrible shot for starters in terms of, he, he's, he's got his Jeep parked in the middle of the road, which is basically the inciting incident for the whole bloody right. thing, yeah. which is ridiculous. Um, he is, she's the MVP, I feel, in the first one. She's brilliant. She's really, really good. Kathleen Turner, Romancing Stone. And, um, and then I've just got some other things around, yeah. um, uh, about Niall though, right? So I feel like, they one of the things they really do well in it is just they take the characters and they drop them into a new environment. You start off in the French Riviera. That's really awesome. And it feels mm. nice. I always like it when sequels do that. So spoiler alert yeah. for, for a bit later. Um, there's an amazing moment, Julian, which I don't know if you remember, Sheppy, but it starts on the boat and she's typing away. And she basically has a moment where she's like, ah, over it with the story. She throws the typewriter into the water. And it does this very clever shot where the typewriter drops in the water, misses a scuba diver who's coming to plant right. the bomb on the boat by seconds. Right. Like, literally, really, it must have yeah. taken ages. To go, good old Lewis T, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Good old Lewis like, T. <laughs> well, whilst we're talking about that, can I mention quickly that there's a really good shot where they pop a champagne cork and a hand comes into frame and catches the cork just as it pops out and it comes out and it doesn't cut and it's Michael Douglas. And it's a really, I wonder how many times he did it. It's just, that's cool. Um, so I like that. I take back everything I said about Jack Colton. <laughs> He's very cool. <laughs> and it has actually got- <laughs> that, that, that was his moment. It's got two, two best lines, I think, in either movie are actually in Jules and I as well. So they send the scripts really bad, but um, there's a brilliant line, Jack would never die without telling me. Come on, brilliant line when nice. she's really like emotional nice. and uh, grieving him immediately. Jack, Jack is dead. Yes. <laughs> and then the, at the end, they're tied up and they're over their booby trap and uh, and and he's like, "What kind of psychopath would think up something like this?" <laughs> Actually, it's kind of the end to my novel. Yes, nice. And I love that um, Jack is yeah. basically a freeloader, Sheppy. He's got no job. He's got no like. We're going to get into all that with the, yeah. the third one because I've pulled on that thread. But um, oh, nice. yeah, and 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 the only other thing nice. I'll just say is Ralph is the best man at their wedding at the end, like, which is an incredible yeah. sort of like, yeah, I, I don't know, like a big flipperoo. Very different there. character, uh, as presented at the beginning of *Romancing the Stone*, Ralph. Yeah, it's like Joe Pesci in a way in Lethal Weapon 2. He became this whole thing, but he is an adversary. He's a kind of helpless, hapless stooge a bit, but he is in Romancing the Stone, you know, a villain. And he doesn't repent. <laughs> he just gets fucked up, as I remember, continuously. So it's like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. But in the in the second one, it's definitely the gang's all here. And and that's fair and it works. And I'm sure that was a reason why they did 
do the thing that you didn't like and separate Joel and Jack. And Bixarik would have a little mini adventure with Ralph and she's having her adventure with What's-His-Face. But yeah, you know, that's all right. I, yeah, so I guess the script did come together. Um, I remember, the, and I liked the twist that it that the jewel of the Nile is the wacky dude who yeah. I don't remember disliking. You know, he could be really unlikable, but actually, no, he's, he's cool. Okay with me. He's cool. Yeah, and the special effects at the end when he's walking on the fire, I remember, are atrocious. But <laughs> I can't hold that against it, and I like the. Jack, I like Jack kicking the dude off the scaffolding. I think that's quite a cool move. Yes, it is a cool um, move, actually. So, yeah, you're right. <laughs> one thing I'm going to say about Jack as a character is he, I think, you know, obviously the film is influenced by Raiders um, of the Lost Ark. And in that sense, you know, it's of course it is. And, it's, and Jack is like Indy quite actually despicable and selfish um, and that's a that's a big thing and in Jewel of the Nile he has that fight with that huge dude in the tribe and I always like fights in films between the hero and someone who's really strong uh, and he's getting his ass kicked and he just keeps trying to cheat and he wins totally by cheating with the wacky Jewel's help and I like that as well um, that he's yeah he'll he, there's no problem with him just cracking a guy with a rock or a bucket or something and that's nice. So, so um, I like yeah. him, and and in romancing, it is shocking fairly late in the film that you see that he was 100% about to betray Joan in the map, and he puts it back in her bag, but it is a con. And at the end in the cave when Ralph says, you know, he's playing you, and it's absolutely true. He, he absolutely was, um, right up until that moment. And that's that's nice, and as a kid, I had problems with that because he meant it wasn't, you know, he was being, you know, not very good, a good person. But I like it now as a jaded adult um, that, you know, it tickles my fancy. And, it, and it's, it's very, jaded as well, Sheppy. So, Beautiful stone like bun. That. Yeah, jaded as fuck. It's good. So I'm loving it. With that in mind, then, shall we, shall we talk about our third part? Absolutely, Sheppy. Let's do it. Well, let me say this then. First of all, so it's the third part. Um, I've got it as 1988, but I'm thinking maybe even to go as late as 89. You know, after the quick one-two of Romancing and Jewel, I thought maybe a bit more of a, a gap. So I'm saying 88, but maybe even 89. Directed by, I wanted to think of someone directing this, the third person, you know, who would ever think of saying Lewis Teague? I went someone slightly more A-list, but only a little bit. Um, I went with John Badham, who, you know, he directed lots of very successful films in the 80s. Um, so very randomly, but 1988, John Badham directing. Um, and it's Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, Deto. Um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know who's going to play the main villains, because spoiler, it's, uh, it's going to be Chinese people, so I don't know who would be an accurate choice to play these people. And they weren't ever big actors who played the villains in the previous two films. So insert late 80s, fairly successful Hong Kong or Chinese. So Miguel Ferrer, I have, who, you know, 1988 Miguel Ferrer, I think he was just maybe in Twin Peaks as Albert at that point, and he had been in Robocop. So I've got him in it as a typical sleazy dude. And now that I think about it, and this is, I swear, this is the first time I've thought about it, um, Miguel Ferro has been in at least two other John Badham films. So there you go. It, it's all come together. So that's, that's nice. Nice. So that's my basic cast. So the first one is like in the South American jungle. And the second one is in like the Middle East, like desert. So I've gone Oriental. I should say for the listener, just something briefly in which is this this film is called dragon's red ruby and i thought of that title for this film maybe 11 years ago which i believe you knew you know jimbo and long before this podcast was a thing i thought about the plot to this film um and i you know over the years once or twice i, I used to go jogging around uh, london fields and i would be thinking about this film i'm thinking maybe 11 10 years ago now <laughs> Which is weird. <laughs> so this film in some way has existed in my brain and it's amazing that I waited till episode 10 of this podcast before pulling the trigger on this 
so and I've told you about this over the years as well Jimbo so do you have, how much do you remember of my basic I, 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 don't, I have you know, done a new version I, I want to hear it all again I want to hear it yeah because I can't remember it's, it's it honestly all, well, no, it, it's, it's the same basic premise but I've I've come at it totally afresh for this I haven't fallen back on anything so um but yeah it's Dragon's Red Ruby um Joan Wilder and Jack T. Colton traveled to China after hearing of the death of their associate, Ralph. Uh, they are invited to this funeral in Shanghai, but once there, they discover not all is as it seems. Uh, now, as characters, they got married, of course, at the end of Jewel of the Nile. They're still married. There's no will they, won't they, and there isn't a moment where they might break up or anything like that. Uh, they bicker all the way through the film, of course, like crazy, but it's very, very the thin man. Uh, they're a strong team and very much still in love. You know, they've got problems, of course, but they're, you know, they're, there's no part of this film where it's like, are they going to break up or whatever? They're, and I like the dynamic of the married couple having adventures uh, when they're sort of bickering, but they know each other, you know, and very much like the thin man book and films. Um, now, there's a free cred uh, where Ralph, we see DeVito and he's running and scampering down dark alleys in China with steam and firecrackers and all of that with nasty men in pursuit. Uh, he makes it to his crummy room and hides an envelope in, in the wall or something while trying to make a long distance call um, on his phone. There's banging at the door, which is uh, barricaded with, you know, a wardrobe or something. Uh, but about to give at any second, wood is cracking and the frame is buckling and there's shouts and commotion and Ralph is working fast and he, he hides the, the hole in the wall and on the phrase, on, on, the, on the phone, he's saying something along the lines of, yeah, yeah, it's me, yeah, long time, whatever. And I still haven't forgiven you. Uh, listen, things have taken a turn, a turn, you know, trouble, dark, deep, stinky trouble, the type of trouble that carries a knife, a gun and a head in a sports bag. Just send me the word, send the word out, get them here, find me, Jack T. Colton. And then it goes into the credits. Uh, so that's what I've got to find. Now that's a big paraphrase. I've, that was just sort of like, you know, but that's, um, that's what, and I don't know if we reveal then or later that he's on the phone to his cousin, Ira, who is conspicuous by his absence in the second film, but is a huge, he's really like, he totally gets away with it. He's the architect of all of it. Yeah. He kidnaps <laughs> Joan Wilder's sister. He's a villain. Ralph is his cousin who's kind of pulled along. You can't have any sympathy, but, and he totally gets away at the end of the film. Uh, it's amazing. In the teaser trailer to Jewel of the Nile, you see Ralph on the phone to Ira. You don't see Ira, but he's like telling that. about the trailer to uh, and saying what's about to happen. Um, so that's no doubt where I got that image of him on the phone to Ira, um, and we, but I don't think we cut to Ira, so um, we may know that it's Ira, and we do see Ira for a little bit. I bring him back, Ira is back, so I should have written his name, because I did check to see if he, if he was still alive in the late 80s, and good news, he, he was, and he is still alive now, but I, I didn't write down his name because I'm disrespectful, um, but I'm back. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, so he goes, get find me, Jack T. Colton, and it cuts to you know, the credits just for title. Um, and then we start with the sort of similar trope from the previous two, where it opens on uh, you know, a dramatization of uh, some of Joan Wilder's new book. Um, so it starts off with uh, proxy characters, no doubt will be played by Douglas and Turner. And, um, but they're playing, yeah, you know, this is one of those cringy things that they shouldn't do, which makes the film slightly less good, but there's no way that they could resist it. So it's Douglas playing this character from Joan Wilder's new book, but he's a bit nerdy and um, he's got glasses and he's a bit bumbling. He's got a bow tie and totally against type. And Turner's character is this total sex bomb and it's very comedic and he's like being seducing. <laughs> like, oh, um, and you know, Douglas, I've written Douglas is having a great time. <laughs> and there's narration by Joan Wilder. Um, <laughs> uh, of course, her proxy is strong and determined and aggressive and violent. 
Uh, she aggressively seduces his nebbish type, throwing off his glasses with her mouth. I've written, actually I've written, <laughs> throwing off his glasses, and then in brackets, with her mouth, question mark. Um, the scene gets very passionate, very romantic. She scoops him up into her arms, kisses and smooches and banging into walls and fumbles and things going flying off walls and tables and things. Then suddenly the tone changes, very suddenly. They have a moment, they're looking at each other and it's like, ah, I love you so much. And then he's like, uh, and then the walls explode and crazy, wildly over the top, but inexpensive and stylized action sequence happens with the Jack character suddenly going Rambo crazy with ridiculous results and cartoon action as he dispatches hordes and hordes of crazy stereotypical bad guys, gangsters and whatnot, uh, Looney Tunes insanity. Sexy Joan is now all flustered and she says, I always knew you had it in you. And the Jack proxy says, well, let me repay the favor and put it somewhere else. And we smash cut to the real Joan Wilder in the real life reading this in her office. And she's furious and she screams, Jack. And it turns out that Jack found her half written thing and snuck into the chapter and wrote the second half, which is why <laughs> Oh, that's crazy. a brilliant idea. Um, <laughs> and uh, so hence the genre switch. And she's, she's like, yeah, stop getting into my stuff. And he's like chilling out. And it's three or four years after their last adventure. Uh, they had a few more mini adventures, I think, after Dawn of the Nile, but we never see them. Nothing big. Uh, now, interestingly, Jack is wants a baby at this point. You know, he's like, come on, a little Joni running around would be great. Uh, but she wants to focus on her career, which has only gotten larger and larger. Um, her work, though, has become less plot and character driven and more schmaltz. Uh, last year, she released four books, uh, each one more puff piece than the last. There's a scene at the beginning where her agent who comes back is reading uh, a review from the newspaper and she write, and she reads, last year, Joan Wilder apparently wrote more books than she read. Ouch. That's like a little scene, <laughs> I see. Um, and, uh, Great and there's lines, another bit where she reads. <laughs> like, and here's another one. Uh, a shimmering glance of breast does for the romantic novel what fast food did for hot cuisine. <laughs> and then Joan's like, oh, who knows where they get this stuff? And the Asian wrote, that was, that was a quote from you. Um, and it's like, by the end of the film, however, <laughs> um, Joan, her arc is she's found her integrity again, and she's less uh, James Patterson. And she isn't uh, after the easy sell anymore, and she's less, you know, uh, up herself. You know, she's been carried away by her own hype. Uh, but you know she and, and of course by the end of the film we find out in a pure pure cocktail fashion she's pregnant uh, so nice, that's yeah, nice yeah. <laughs> um and yeah but she's got her integrity by the end which is nice uh, at the start jack is worried that he has nothing left to give which is maybe why he wants to become a father as well he you know if he doesn't have an adventure or anything to do what can he actually do what are his skills what does he have to contribute the answer, as discovered by the end, is he makes utter. He's a good influence uh, by him naturally just being himself. You know, Joan says, it worked for me. It certainly worked for Ralph. I've seen the effect you have on every we meet. You're a good man, Jack T. Colton, and it's contagious. And Jack says, and here I thought my days of contagion were behind me. Da -da 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 -da. And then, uh, Joan and Jack receive, um, so at the beginning of the film, therefore, after all of this, they receive an invite um, to a life-changing meeting. They, um, they, go, they find out that Ralph apparently has been killed. Um, now, I think they either go straight there because uh, they've been invited to his funeral, or they get a, a, a message from Ira, and this is where Ira, if he's in the film, I see him maybe in prison, but then again, because he got away at the end of Romancing the Stone, maybe he's not in prison. Maybe he hasn't become very successful and his life's taken a turn and he's in like some seedy office or some seedy bar or something and he needs a bit of money, whatever. So he thinks I'll do, you know, so he gets this message at the beginning from Ralph. And so he contacts Joan and Jack and says, Ralph's dead. He told me to tell you to get to him. Um, he gives some sort of cryptic clue, perhaps, which maybe amounts to something or maybe is a funny joke. He's like, no, that's not what I said. He got it totally wrong. The twist is, of course, that Ralph is not dead. And at the funeral, he pops up 
use to get people because they were trying to kill him. And this isn't a huge twist because it's in all the trailers and DeVito is third build and he's on the poster. So they don't try and really hide. See Ira perhaps and they go to Shanghai and they go to this funeral and Ralph pops up. Uh, at the end of act one, uh, he, he, he pops up uh, to draw off the, there are Mongolians uh, who are, you know, warlords who are tra chasing them. There are uh, street level thugs uh, of the Chinese underworld mob boss trying to get him. So, um, and for whatever reason, he has certain information that, you know, they want from him. So the three at this point, after a big set piece in Shanghai, which I'll get to, but basically the film is they traverse China from the shadowy underworld of Shanghai to the Great Wall, to the Mongolian plains and the Northern mountains. There are three main villains, essentially. The main, main villain is a Genghis Khan wannabe warlord, uh, Mongolian type. There's an up and coming Chinese gangster from the Shanghai underworld, who's a secondary baddie and works for the Genghis Khan type as a means to an end, but has higher aspirations. Um, and then the third character is much less of an overall threat, but I thought an interesting character would be an unscrupulous American failed writer, failed author called Brad Frisk, uh, who has a pen name of Amanda Image, who wants wealth and fame. He's a bit of a Jack Nicholson in As Good As It Gets wannabe. You know, he writes these, and he's basically the anti-Joan Wilder. Um, and he writes these romantic books, but they're not as successful. And he has a pen name, but it's actually this, you know, sexist, misogynist, twatty, Miguel Ferrer, sleazy 80s type guy. Uh, he doesn't like women and he writes fairly grading novels anyway about so-called strong ladies, but it's all a bit male fantasy-ish. Um, and, so, uh, and so he might even be there doing a Joan Wilder in Nile in that he's there shadowing this Mongolian guy to write this book, maybe. Um, that's why he's there. But he also doesn't, he has an invested interest in seeing the end of Joan Wilder because, you know, she's better than him. Uh, now the ruby in this is, a, is an actual ruby. It's a huge red ruby, which belongs in the eye of a massive dragon. So it is dragon's red ruby. It's pretty literal. Um, when put in the eye of this ancient dragon statue, which is found up a cave in a mountain somewhere, uh, it will grant the person power and wisdom, apparently. Uh, Ralph wanted it for the loot, of course, so he found out information about where it was. Um, I see various large set pieces, a large set piece on, of course, the Great Wall, uh, Jack and Joan on a motorbike, uh, chase over helicopter, pursuing machine guns and grenades and jumps and skids and quips. Uh, in Shanghai, there's a set piece, maybe um, after the funeral bit, but uh, in a big street festival with all, you know, the lanterns and the big dragon and the nasty gangster types are chasing uh, Joan and Jack and they hide in one of the big dragon things they have at these festivals. But the baddies see the, uh, Joan's high heels and Jack's like, oh, he's with the high heels um, under the dragon as they're trying cool, to escape but... past all the baddies. But I thought that, yeah, but then I thought there might be an extra twist where they rip off the uh, the dragon, but it's not Joan. It's uh, like this little toothless skinny beggar old man who we saw earlier and he's being, he's wearing Joan's high heels and he gives them this like toothless grin and they're like, ah, <laughs> but, but, so, you know, it's that sort of film. It's the third part. It goes, goes a bit crazy. Um, so I saw that. I saw another scene maybe up a mountain with Joan on a very thin and crumbling ledge high up edging her way off and it's sort of crumbling and she's reaching for this handhold which is just out of reach and I see a bit where Jack and Ralph are taking now this might be too much like uh, like uh, Jewel and Nanar but Jack and Ralph are taken in by a nomadic Mongolian horse people tribe and they appear friendly but then tie Jack to two horses and they're going to pull him apart unless Ralph can prove that they're not a threat and he performs a rendition of Kung Fu fighting and wins them over. Uh, 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 one of the women of the tribe takes a real shine to Ralph and she becomes a romantic interest for Ralph, who's very, very secondary, but at the end they're together and she goes back to America 
we go see Yankees or something like that. Um, the final message of the film, uh, you know, because you know, of the ancient one who created the statue and the ruby and legend, the message is that uh, power and wisdom are earned and gained through effort and suffering and will. And if given, these things are ultimately meaningless. And, you know, it's a kind of a last crusade, basic indie sort of thing where the climax is in this cave with the dragon and everyone's together. And the warlord has the ruby and he puts it in the eye and the cave, of course, crumbles and falls down and shamelessly ripping off. But who cares? And it kills everyone in it. But, you know, the three heroes escape and jump and do a cool stunt, maybe off another waterfall or something. Um, and the baddies get fucked up. The ruby is lost, of course. Uh, the warlord is entombed for eternity or until he eats his own arm. Mouth says, and uh, Joan has learned to be a good writer again. The anti-Joan, I don't know if he dies at the end, but he, I think he survives, but he, um, but then he gets, I don't know, I think the nomad tribe turn up and save the day at the end and probably take him off and like, you know, he's going to become their new queen or something. Um, and he's like, no one's ever going to, you know, you're, you're not going to be famous. All he ever wanted was fame. And, He's going to live with these nomads and no one's ever going to see or hear from him again. And he might actually have a nice life, but he's like, no, no, all I want is people to know who I am. So, um, and Jack, of course, learns that he has skills away from the treasure hunting and all of that. Um, and Ralph is like, you know, so much for a happy ending for Ralph. And then the nomad girl takes him by the arm and Jack's like, that depends on your interpretation of happy ending. And that's basically <laughs> the end. And they ride off into the sunset. And, it's a sort of scene and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, it's, it's, it's a bit saucy. It's, it's gone up. It's, I'm not saying it's a, it's a good film, but that's, that's basically the, uh, the gist of it. And I've got, of course, two taglines here. They're not very good, but one of them is, you know, the teaser poster. What is the secret of the dragon's red ruby? And, you know, very basic. And the other one is, Across the ocean, over the mountains, behind the wall, adventure just turned red. I don't know what that means. It sounds a bit too Arnie. So maybe adventure just turned exciting. <laughs> I don't know. But um, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my basic third part of the uh, Romance in the Stone trilogy. <laughs> love it, Sheppy. I bloody love it. And you know one of the things I love the most about that is just you just got so many rich ideas in there that just that I, I read someone they were thinking about doing a Romance in the Stone TV show. That's what they rebooted it oh. to, or possibly. I don't know where it is now. I don't think it's been done. But, you know, some of those characters you have in there, particularly you're as good as it gets, Brad bit brisk. <laughs> um, you know, that, that yes. guy. Like, it's a brilliant idea to have a sort of a a rival to Joan, or at least a sort of another novelist like that, but under the pseudonym, brilliant. But but getting all of that, what I love about your um, stuff always is you've always thought about the set piece. It's brilliant. I mean, taking it to China is just a stunning idea. I can see all the, the bullets flying and missing them by miles, because they always do. Literally, it's just... Yes. But, uh, but yeah, oh, man, I love oh, it. Um, I, I actually had, a, had one more thing I didn't say about the, um, the gangster, not the Genghis Khan, but like the secondary dude. I see him actually dying like at the end of Act 2 before they get to the cave. Um, it's like being established earlier that Joan is pissed off because Jack always buys what she calls his toys, just like those you know, little fun things because they're rich. Um, and so that comes back later because the, the gangster nasty baddie, secondary baddie, is like shooting at them and they're like throwing, like Joan's throwing like uh, you know, firecrackers at his feet and he's like, Arr! but you know, of course it doesn't really hurt him and stuff. And she, he corners her, maybe, or maybe just her, in, in like a room, and she's lighting a fuse, and it starts going, and he's like scoffs, you know, goes, these are your weapons, the toys of children? And Jack says, no, pal, I got my own toys. And the guy sees the fuses for this massive bunch of like rocket rockets and massive Chinese firecrackers and huge things stop and then Jack and Joan jump out the window and the whole place just explodes and that's the guy dies in this beautiful firework display in like a clock tower or something um, nice. and then jump out and there's all this like colorful he's like ah, ah. 
yeah, that's, I see that being the end of Act Two. Yeah, before they go off into the into the wilderness. I like it, Sheps. Bloody wonderful. And I've got to say, like, I don't even. I know you're saying it might be a lure. It, it, it might not be a great film, but it doesn't feel like a diminishing return. If anything, it feels like a movie that might have the edge on the Nile. To be honest. On the strength oh, of nice. what you said, so that's nice. I definitely don't have the edge on the Nile, yeah. just to be clear. Oh my God, I've got a bit broader. The edge on the Nile sounds like a good film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Sheppy, bloody but love I'm it. I'm sure it could it's come wonderful. up with a better tagline, but thank you. Does that's cracking. wicked. Well, let's um, if the, let's hear about yours because I'm very excited. Well, here we go. Let me see if I can find her. Um, okay. Okay, here we go. And um, so, uh, well, here's some silliness for you, Sheppy, which is just appropriate context on, on one thing. Here's the one appropriate silliness. Um, they really have heavily referenced when the going gets tough for the Jewel of the Nile. Like it's actually part of their little interplay. <laughs> they literally say it as their little Did thing between buy... Jack and Joe. <laughs> Did you buy the music video to that? I'm sure I did. I'm or sure did... I would have done. I don't know. Video yeah. for like three pounds or something. I remember <laughs> the. I remember seeing it, but I don't remember if you if you. If yeah. I was tempted, but three pounds, you know, that was a, a lot of money. That was, that was a big man. <laughs> but anyway, but so like, I yes, was thinking, I want time. the theme tune for this to be big. I want it to be like a heavy part of it and it needs to be one of the biggest numbers of the year. So this is just very stupid, but I just, uh, I, I then Googled 1986, what were big songs in 1986? Um, one of the biggest songs of 1986 was called Party All The Time by Eddie Murphy. <laughs> so I'd share that with you. And I watched the first two minutes of the YouTube clip and it had 60 million views and it's pretty bad. And uh, that, that's just a ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous tangent. Um, but, but what I think the theme to this will be nice. is another 1986 hit, Don't Leave Me This Way by the Communards. I think that would be quite a good one. It was like number one, I think, in US and UK that year. Let's have that. Because this year's re it's released in 86, Sheffy. I'm doing the one, two, three, 84, 85, 86 with these wow. three. There's no, there's no, no let up. Yeah. Untapped gold. I've never seen that before. <laughs> Turner, Turner said, I don't mind. I don't mind. You know, last time the script wasn't ready, but we did it. Mike, we did it. Like, you'll be all right. Don't worry about it. What's great about this, too, is it means the Mechas can come back, which is just beautiful and wonderful because he actually has some time between yes. Future and Rabbit in 88. So we can squeeze this in in 1986. Um, nice. There was, by the way, Sheps, you'll be interested to know, and I'm glad I didn't say this to you before your last one because it, it, it basically the Crimson Eagle was proposed to be the third film in the franchise. Wow. And, and here was the pitch for it. Jack Colton and his partner, Joan Wilder, take their two teenage children to Thailand where they would find themselves blackmailed into stealing a priceless statue. So there you go. That's not where I've gone, by the way, but just interesting. Um, How interesting. So yeah. they would have made that later, though, I assume. You'd have thought, wouldn't you? you Maybe know, like That would have been like a 90s. Deep thing, 90s, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, mine's cool. I, I don't mind oh. they didn't. I Just to yeah. say, you know, late 80s, early, uh, very latest, but 86, 87, 88, 89, that, that's your window, I would say, for the optimum of what this shoulda, coulda, woulda. Zemeckis in 86 was actually directing Roger Rabbit because it took two years for them to, to do all the animation. But I don't think point. that would impact this because Zemeckis can do it in 86, then he can film Rabbit. It still won't impact future. And then even if it then Roger Rabbit doesn't come out until 89, it won't affect the film or time or chronology or any other stuff. So I think it's still okay for Zemeckis to do this yeah. film in 86. That's good. I'm happy about that because I want him back. I think it needs his hand on the tiller. Um, so we'll, we'll see how we go, Sheppy. But basically, I've called it Pearl of the Aegean, and it's 1986. Nice. Robert Z. We've got um, our three, our trio are back. Michael Douglas is Jack Colton, Kathleen Turner is Joan, and Danny is uh, Ralph. We've got um, one other casting uh, in there. We've got the, the agents back. I've forgotten her name, that lady. But you know, all that, all those characters yeah. are back. Um, I've put him in somewhere. I've lost him now in my notes, but I'll find him when he when he 
when he pops up on it, you know, another 80s star chef, he comes into this later. Anyway, we start very similar to where you uh, had just after your Ralph pre-title cred, we, we, we go with the trope, all three will be consistent here. Um, we're, we're in one of Joan's adventures, it's a spectacular Thai jungle adventure, um, they've already got whatever the MacGuffin is of this story. And again, you've got Douglas and Joan playing you know, heightened versions of themselves. They're racing away from something, from a, you know, a, a number of bandits or whatever running after them. They're in the jungle. It's revisiting some beats of Romancing the Stone here. Um, they get to a ravine with a bridge and the bridge is looking very rickety as it does in the first movie. Um, there's a big vine there. Douglas is all cocky, gives it a confident tug and it falls into his hand. And so she's not going to get them across. Um, and the bandits are coming for them. Um, they, they they run for the bridge. It is way too shaky. Um, they dip a toe and it starts to crack. And he's like, oh, shit. So he takes whatever it is, like a, a stone or a statue. It's just called a statue on this one. I'm essentially going with the original premise here. You know, they're in the th in Thailand for the what could have been. The so they've got the statue. He keeps that and then um, throws his bag and whatever she's got over onto the other side. So it looks like they've made it across. They then go and hide. The bandits come through, go onto the bridge, fall into the ravine because, of course, it collapses. They think the coast is clear, but there's actually three people waiting for them still, um, and they're all on motorbikes, and they, they've got them cornered with machine guns. Douglas does something clever, or she does something clever, <laughs> and um, they manage to get one of the bikes off one of them, and uh, there's a big chase through the jungle, and, uh, and then um, basically they manage to elude the baddies on, on these uh, motorbikes, all still within the story. And then within the story as well, you know, very high and very silly. They've got they've got away with it all. They've got their statue. They're now on a beach in like Koh Tao or something, or Koh Samui or something. Idyllic, beautiful. The sun, the beach, it's super, it's as, as romantic as the series has ever been, Sheppy. We've got coconut cocktails. They're both looking really young and vital. And that's what I was <laughs> going to say earlier, actually. I think to your point on it's got to be 80s. These two have to look in their prime, in their peak, don't they? Right. Franchise to work <laughs> in a way. And, yeah. Um, anyway, so they look young by all this just there, and then they're just, they're having, they're about to have a little kiss, and this, where, where do we go next? Anywhere, whatever, you know, they're just, and then basically, um, Douglas says, there's something I've always wanted to ask, I've been meaning to ask you. And then in the story, in the moment, it gets interrupted by baby, by baby screaming. And we cut out of this idyllic setting and we're actually in the New York apartment. It's hammering it down the rain outside. Um, you know, Douglas is trying to like, you know, proper Tom Selleck, pat a baby and like, you know, would you take a, like, you know, he's got puke on his shirt. He's looking really freaking knackered, pure Douglas stubble. But they both look really, really exhausted. They've had no sleep. Their, their life is like, you know, they're just in this apartment. It is not the idyllic lifestyle of what she's writing. Um, she's, um, yeah. so the subplot here for the, um, for Joan is that she's under pressure to come up with a fitting finale for um, the the whole Jesse and the whole you know universe. She's she's got this final um, novel she wants to write. She's suffering intense writer's block, which she doesn't really have in the first couple of movies. So I thought I'd go down that road. Um, and they're planning a big launch for this final novel, which has obviously huge pressure on it. They want it to be somewhere exotic, or whatever. And um, but the, I guess the key thing here is that they are not in a beautiful apartment. They need money. Um, and it was the final little Google that I had. That emerald, apparently, from that first one, in that beautiful cut and condition, would have been over $250 million in value. Can you wow. imagine? That's crazy. <laughs> How rich yeah, was Yeah, that, that is impressive. <laughs> I'm um, assuming that it wasn't that much within the world of Romancing Stone. I think, I think you're right. It was I feel probably it's... maybe five mil. Five I'm mil saying. is about right. Yeah, I hear you, Chef. Yeah. I think that feels about right. Um, anyway, they're yeah, having... But that got... is impressive. <laughs> yeah. So they've got the baby. It's happened. Um, they're, they're having a little argument over, you know, looking after the baby. And Douglas is obviously not very happy about his life and all this sort of thing. But she's the earner. She's the one pulling it in. He is not, you know, with this freeloader thing of Jack where really he hasn't. <laughs> He's actually done nothing for the relationship for two movies apart from kick someone off a pole or, uh, you know, wrestle an alligator uh, or a croc. Um, anyway, so, you know, she'll do more of the share with the baby if he wants to go and get a job because they need money. And this is kind of the big conundrum. Why, why do they need money? But it's not explained yet. So anyway, 
Douglas goes out, tries a few interviews, doesn't get anything, eventually gets a job as a taxi driver, a New York cab driver. So he's like doing that a little bit. I love, by the way, quick, silly Jimmy moment. I want to see Terence Stamp come in, <laughs> dressed in full bloody smart suit, and get in and ask to go to Wall Street or something. And it'll be like, oh, yeah, OK, pal. <laughs> Should I mean, just have a little camera? Oh, wow. You're going there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what I'm saying. This is definitely law of diminishing returns, Sheffy. Um, yeah, right, um... yeah, I was like, oh, I'll take you there. I've got to eat lunch first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, but yeah, and um, while he's driving around and he's in New York, at some point he sees Ralph like just randomly on a, on the street, and he decides to follow him. Puts the you know the old meter off, whatever, and he he follows him in the cab, and um, and Ralph goes into an apartment, and then um, Douglas obviously finds a payphone local to the apartment and says, "Hey, I've seen him. I've seen Ralph. You know, and um, I'm just going to sit tight and wait for him to come out." Um, and, and I'll probably be home a bit late tonight, of course, you know, back home, Joan's bloody juggling everything with the baby and it's all a bit stressful. Anyway, of course, he's staking out um, wherever Ralph is, falls asleep in his cab, wakes up to the door slamming and it's Ralph going, airport, you know, whatever, hasn't even looked at the <laughs> cab driver or whatever. And Ralph is proper roughed up. He's got people like chasing him and stuff like, you know, and then he realizes he does a proper DeVito double take, sees his Jack Colton driving the bloody cab and uh, Jack Colton <laughs> sees it's him, so, like, a bit sleepy still, but manages to lock the doors. And so they have this little moment where they're just like, <laughs> together like that and anyway the point is they obviously Douglas drives him away from whatever's going on and whoever's tracing him from that apartment <laughs> the backstory is Ralph lost all their money some pyramid scheme something was ridiculous something you know they, they were sort of buddies I guess of sorts giving he was his best man <laughs> at the wedding you know something the 80s wasn't ready for like a portable video player but sort of ridiculous should have been Ralph got them into and it's all good <laughs> all the money went bad but he's into something it's bigger than big you know and essentially he's he's got wind that there's this shipwreck with hidden treasure in the Aegean um, just off of Greek Island take me to the airport right now we can work this out cold in 7030 it will be golden and he's like no 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 anyway he goes he, he he's like what what's more important than the airport what's going to do and then of course it's cut to the flat you know and basically ralph's there kathleen turner's there the agent's there so this is the, the agent's there i don't know what she's just a busybody friend isn't she and um and mm -hmm. basically um Jack's sort of giving it that we should hear him out. He's saying there's something in Greece. There's something. And she's like, we always wanted to go to Greece. And she's like, you I always wanted to go to Greece and all this, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, and then basically they're having this argument. And um, and then I just sort of see it as basically um, the the agents obviously not on her mobile, but she's in a file of facts or whatever at this time. Um, and then uh, like Ralph is basically Devito, pure entertaining the baby girl. He's got a big part in this Devito, to be fair. Yeah. I really love him, but he's properly being awesome with the, with the baby and no screaming you know just having fun um, like and then the, the Bill Murray from Ghostbusters 2 manoeuvre yeah totally totally <laughs> and then we've got the um, then the agent lady you know she's there etc and then Jack wins around Jack wins Joan around and then she's like okay how about the launch in Athens then you know and then of course so then the scene is set for us to go on a sort of a a thunder, I'm going, you, you were right, Sheffy, they kind of went jungle, they then went dessert, de desserts, yeah, why not, room for dessert, <laughs> and then the lemons, and then we're looking at, like, I feel like an aqua, thunderball-esque type adventure is possibly That's on the great. cards here, um, so we get to Greece, um, Joan has got this big book, book launchy thing, um, it's like the teaser, it's not the book itself, because of course she hasn't written really a word of it yet, um, and um, and so the boys are going to entertain the baby as uh, Joan goes to Athens for the book deal. And they rent they rent a boat and they actually naughtily take themselves off to go and see where this spot might be, where the the, um, the this this shipwreck might be. And um, and they so while they they do that, and Devito says he's just going to wait. And Jack, being very cavalier, we've seen him water ski in the Jewel of the Nile, whatever. He decides to <laughs> scuba down on his own. Nobody for Jack. He's that hardcore. And this is the eighties. No one cares. Um, and Devito's <laughs> still looking after the baby on the boat. Um, but you know, kind of being with spare pair of hands and all that sort of stuff. He goes. Jack goes for the dive. Goes down. Can't find it or anything. Um, and then comes back and, and of course, you know, they come up without the goods. They're, they're drying off and a couple of boats come along and um, just out of nowhere to their boat, pull up 
um, and, and essentially kidnapped Douglas. So Ralph is left holding the baby on the boat. Douglas is taken off in these boats. And, um, and essentially, this is, this is essentially the plot. I reckon all of what I've just told you, Sheppy, is like the first 20 minutes, if you like. What we then have is um, the, actually, no, hang on. I don't know whether to go, the, this is ridiculous because I should have worked this out for you, but I was thinking it might be quite fun, actually, if Douglas and the baby and DeVito are kidnapped. But here's the thing I want to get to. I want Douglas obviously left with the baby, having not been necessarily brilliant with the baby so far. So it's kind of that whole coming in terms of being a dad and responsibility and all that, and being alone with the baby. And then having this sort of crazy, like, <laughs> I almost feel like there's a moment on the boat where they've come to DeVito Douglas and there's a negotiation around it. You can't take me with the baby because, you know, we don't, do you have mixture? Do you have mixture for the breastfeeding? Like, We've got mixture. We have mixture. They like, essentially have a negotiation and they take Douglas and the baby. But anyway, I don't even know how all that happens. Anyway, all I really wanted to also get to is just, um, I'd like it to just, if we're going to split them up, let's have Kathleen Turner and DeVito together instead, you know? Um, and, and anyway, let's just say, for sake of argument, we haven't done the silly negotiation of the mixture. We've just got essentially Douglas kidnapped. Ralph goes back to the mainland, hooks up with Joan, talks to her, says pretty soon Jack is going to realise he's back with the people he sold the stone to. And that is Lou Diamond Phillips is the head of this gang. And let's just say they're, you know, all the way back from, uh, from Colombia or whatever they're, 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 they're in. And Lou Diamond Phillips is the guy that off screen, you know, obviously Douglas wrestled his croc, got the stone, sold it to somebody. Um, turns out that stone was actually yeah. fake. And um, and at some point in this movie, it's oh. like you cracked open the bunny, right? I mean, you cracked open a bunny and you didn't even think that that might be a gag that was left for somebody else like that. And essentially, um, Lou Diamond Phillips was sold a fake by Jack. And so therefore, Jack's in a lot of shit at the moment. Um, and it's not this infamous. The stone can only be wrapped in a certain thing. So the real stone is in the shipwreck, this famous shipwreck that no one will go to because it's guarded by, in urban myth, a giant shark that no one's ever actually seen, but everyone's too scared to go down. So I've put here... First one had crocodiles, second one camels. <laughs> and then the third one we're gonna have sharks. So um Joan and Ralph are the odd couple in the race to get Jack back with the daughter. And then all I've got, Sheppy, are two other things. Finale in the ocean, where Jack is essentially so I've, I've made this quite Jackie, but I mean, what you've done beautifully is all these brilliant Joan moments. And I really want Joan actually to, to get the most screen time. She's brilliant in the first movie, pretty good in the second. And I just want more Joan. She's a really cool character. So I haven't done enough daydreaming on her, like the moments and the little things that she could get up to. But, you know, of course, the key thrust of the movie is, is, is minimal Douglas and, and, her and her and Ralph, you know, trying to get him back. And um, but anyway, finale in the ocean, let's just say Jack, his moment of heroism at the end is he's sent down to, to get this stone, you know, and of course, um, you know, they, they found the shipwreck by now. And, um, and just as he's going down, you know, they, they cut the supply of air, but they put a little tweak in the, in the tank and it's basically only got like maybe four minutes of air or something. So he definitely can't just make a swim for shore or whatever, you know. But of course, heroically, he goes down, comes up like he does with the croc or whatever, with a shark. And he's got his fishing knife or something and he's cut the throat and he's got it on his shoulder and the rock or something. I don't know. I really need an ending. I haven't got an ending. But, um, but the, the final point is, of course, what, why is it called? Pearl will at the end just total anecdotally it's all happy days and maybe they're having some nice um you know ouzo and, um, and and olives or something in a, in a in a in a little square after the adventure's over and someone says oh your daughter's beautiful what's her name and Kathleen Turner just throws away that her name is Pearl so it's not quite the jewel being a person in the second one but it's just nice it's just nice. their daughter you know what I mean and, uh, but um but yeah so it's what a bit messy and ragged again uh, Pearl of the Aegean. But, um, nice. but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot that needs working no, like up still, Sheppy, in set piece terms at the very least. But uh, but yeah. But I, <laughs> uh, I like it. I like it a lot. Does it have to be the same stone 
uh, from the first one. No, I just like the callback like, because you don't like the Nazis in Last Crusade, right? But right. I've got to I say secretly, I do. That... I'm not really going to bat for this argument right. yet, so I shouldn't have said that. But I do like the idea that there's a bookend no. there to the Indies, and I quite like the sort of pulling through and and you've got to get around somehow the why does the same shit keep happening the same people the same time all that sort of stuff and there's maybe a I had this whole thing by the way that I wrote which was just a basically Ralph has betrayed them and um and he's properly doubled down and when the boat comes to get them um Kathleen Turner's on the boat too and we actually really leverage the fact that there could be a misery element which they don't really go for in that second one they sort of do it but don't where she could be kept under duress and all the all the royalties of this final book will go to this this cartel to pay for jack's stupidity right. and giving them a fake stone <laughs> the veto says i'll look after her but of course he's in way too deep his long games to try and get them both out eventually but he has no plan and i was going to go down all of that road i wrote some of that out, but it didn't really have didn't really have the legs it got too complicated and okay. just, uh, but yeah <laughs> that works um I, you know I, it gives rough something and it makes him it brings him back to more despicable like from like from the first film so that does work i like that whole element yeah yeah I, yeah, and it absolutely, it, you're so right about the, it's like the Death Star in Return of the Jedi. I mean, I don't know what I would substitute it with, maybe I wouldn't, but it is that like, does it have to be a Death Star again? And it, yeah, and it's exactly like the Nazis. So there you go. Well, that's perfect. That's why it's, it's yours, baby. And it's great. And it'll make much more money. Uh, I think it'll be, it'll be a huge, huge film. Either that, or because it's set on water, it will sink the studio, like uh, like really hardcore. <laughs> and we'll never get back to the about. future too. So either way, <laughs> right? Yeah, and they'll and they burn. Uh, yeah, they yeah they try to get rid of uh, Roger Rabbit as well. Gutted, gutted. We don't even get contact. Think about that. Uh, that's great, Jimbo. Uh, all of that, oh, all of that was wonderful. And yeah, bringing Zemeckis back for the third one is is lovely. Uh, I'm all for it. That's it. Good, good stuff. Nice, chefs. Well, look, we need to think of one for next week. And I've got something in mind, actually, that I, I realised as we started the call, I didn't have anything. And then something popped in there, which is a bit rogue. So I'm going to say it a weekend now. Uh... But before you say it, let me say that I, rogue is perfect. Because I think now we're, you know, entering phase two. And so I think <laughs> some of the choices can get a bit more zany and i'm saying that because i know what my and it's 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 fucked up so give, <laughs> give me your rogue well, let me tell you this i'm this, loving it it's not that fucked up. actually to be honest with you it is actually very safe in some ways um and it's just it's not quite there's one that's in my mind that i want to just blurt out but i'm not going to do it yet it's too soon it's too soon but it's one that i think we should do at some point which is quite it's got a personal angle nice. anyway enough blather what i really think though here this is quite hot of the press, it's quite topical, Sheppy, and we will kind of be being villains, which I'm sure you'll be happy about, because um, the, uh, <laughs> the Friends reunion has just been on telly, right? And they've had um, Ross, Rachel, et al. Um, come back together and sort of mooch about the studio together and talk about their experience. And one question, spoiler alert, that they ask is, you know, will there be another? And they all universally say no, and everybody seems to agree no, because we left them in such a lovely spot. And, you know, all these characters have their life all like, to you know, totally wrapped up. Why would you want to unravel that? Why would you want to unravel that and put them all in a, a place where they're not happy anymore and it's not that lovely little friend's bubble at the end? Mm -hmm. Well, Sheppy, <laughs> let's just imagine there was a, a different friend's reunion <laughs> where where things weren't Amazing. quite as rosy for the Central Perk Six, and, uh, and and maybe we can just unravel their lives a bit and decide whether we want to put them back together again. And it doesn't have to be a reunion made now. It can have been one like on the 10 year anniversary of the last one or something, or whenever you want, really. Or in the future, you can do whatever nice. the heck you like. But a one-off, it doesn't have to oh. be a whole season. I think just a one-off reunion right. special. And uh, let's see what you do with right. them for like, like a like a like a hour, an hour. I reckon long. an hour. Yeah, yeah, probably an hour. That sounds. Yeah. 
All right. Well, this has got the old. I love it. That's great. That's crazy. Um, I'm all for it. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see if we yeah. can do a, a Larry with the last episode of Seinfeld. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> not quite really our cup of tea either of us but i figure let's let's go with the zeitgeist and you know do one for the peeps a cup can... of coffee, uh, <laughs> oh, coffee. yes yeah no i'm all for it sometimes it's good to step out of your comfort zone into someone else's so yeah uh, i love it bring it on i'm looking forward to it jimmy uh, nice, is there yes. anything else or uh, do you have mm. a good sign off for us this week no it be for me i don't sheppy i just I think we've got to. I think we'll just forget the sign up. I think honestly, Jimbo? where we have score, we can see Well, don't you worry because Jimbo, I'll be there for you. <laughs> That's for victory dance. That's for victory dance. It's the twist because the people listening go, ah, oh, they're finally going to stop with this terrible thing where they never have a sign off. No, it's like, they, this is it. It's phase two and they're not going to do it. And then the ultimate twist. No, it's going to be forever. It's going to be <laughs> shitty sign off every week. It's the ultimate. I'm all for it. The one with the shitty sign off. We'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at shoulderspod.com or shoulderspod at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.